I did this documentary uh, where I found, I solved rather the disappearance of my father's missing best friend. I'm a director, I'm a producer, I, you know, I've done hosting on camera, I've done acting, so I'm definitely just in the entertainment industry, if you will. How do you feel about the ethics of true crime? I was in the Philippines, I went to Corredor Island where there was a, 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 a secret massacre that I was kind of unearthing. And I am scared for you, Arya. What's up, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Glad I Asked, a podcast where I have the pleasure of exploring the minds of other curious creatives and we talk about many things, including how they're creating a life they're excited to be living. I'm Sydney Goodman and today's guest is the lovely Arya Intavong. He's logged millions and millions of views for BuzzFeed and on his YouTube channel where he's created videos ranging from training to fight in an MMA fight in a matter of four months to solving the disappearance of his dad's best friend, which has over 6 million views. We hit on the ethics of true crime, a genre that has taken flight over the last couple of years, how being Lao and growing up in Singapore, Thailand, Laos, and America while spending a good amount of time in France affects his art and perspective. And of course, we talk a little bit about film. So please enjoy this conversation with Arya Intavong. I like, love the art of the, trailers. I completely agree. I and I, I always recognize when it's like, oh, that's a really great trailer. Well, I used to watch the trailer after the fact. And you can see, I like doing that sometimes. I watch the trailer after I've seen the movie. And I can sort of see, oh, okay. Yeah. Like, they were cheeky about the way they, like, you know, use certain lines that were out of place. Like, they weren't used in the, you know, because like, they, they, they do sneaky stuff with their trailer editing. Yeah. Well, and I think the way that they've edited trailers now is, like, has changed where there's less of the kind of cinematic trailer that I feel like gives you more of a feel or kind of mm -hmm. an essence of what the movie world the tone is. and everything yes. like that. Now it's more like plot summary. Yeah. yeah, exactly. That's why I avoid them now. Yeah. It's like, yeah. And then they, I don't remember them having so many different trailers. I thought that there was like maybe one, maybe two. Yeah. Trailers get are longer now too. I feel yeah. some are like three minutes long. It's like too like, much. Hi. Hi, Aria. Hi. Thank How you so much for having doing? me. I'm doing great. A beautiful day with you here. Looking forward to uh, chatting. This to couch chat. is... Oh, I always forget how comfy. Your I know couch is. it really is, and I feel I always feel bad when I have people like sitting here because I feel like it's you want to. I want to sink in. Exactly, I'm trying to keep my posture for the podcast. That's no, the thing, exactly. but I, otherwise, I'm inclined to just yeah. soak on in. Well, I feel like most people will watch like the short clips. So if you're gonna mm -hmm. make like a good point, you can just kind of exactly. sit up straight That's a good and point. then like yeah, yeah. slouch for the uninteresting ones. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I know you're gonna say something interesting if you start like, <laughs> standing up straight. Yeah. Um, okay, so. I like to start the podcast by asking people, like, how do you, like, how do you describe yourself? Like, what, Oof. what are you? Uh, that's, 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 that's <laughs> starting easy. Uh, I know, you know, it, it sounds like an easy question, mm -hmm. you know, but it's always, uh, especially for us, I guess, as creatives, it's just so, such a heavy question. I mean, overall, I guess I, uh, like, I'm a director, I'm a producer, I, you know, I've done hosting on camera, I've done acting. So I'm definitely just in the entertainment industry, if you will. But I, I also identify as a third culture kid because I grew up overseas in Asia for most of my life, bouncing around, uh, never really having like a, you know, steady home. And I think uh, I carry that identity with me, that whole my school, my high school in Thailand used to call us global citizens, oh. uh, which was a, a little cheesy, but in a way, sure, let, let's go with that. And so, yeah, I mean, I kind of carry that with me. And I think it's influenced a lot of the work I do because I definitely... Uh, you know, my my experience amongst so many different cultures is what inspires me to help, you know, tell stories of these different places, people and, uh, you know, the wonderful world around us. Yeah. Wait, so do you 
do you consider like does it feel like you are here like would you consider yourself like american i guess that's what's tricky you know at times i mean i am american by passport and and at this point in my life the majority of my life has now been in the u.s i would say Mm -hmm. actually not that's not true at all because i didn't move to the u.s or move back to the u.s i was born here but i moved away at the age of like two uh but i didn't move back to the u.s till i was 17 and i'm 31 now so technically no i guess the majority of my life has still been overseas so uh, yeah, I mean, I'm an American in the sense that I have the passport, yeah. I live here now, and I definitely feel Americanized to a, to a great extent. Even growing up overseas, you know, American pop culture was very dominant in my life, and so that's why I, even coming to the U.S., I didn't feel too out of place. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I guess I, I identify as, a, as an American, but I also have a French passport, for example, so it's a little bit of everything. Well, you have a French passport? I know uh, you speak some French. I do speak French. I have a French passport uh, because, you know, my family grew up, well, my dad specifically grew up in France for a while, so he has a French passport. So I believe it was passed down through him. Um, it's a very nice passport to have when you're going to Europe. That's for sure. It's a yeah. very cause you get nice entry to most European countries. Well, and I feel like just, well, I mean, obviously the passport is nice, but I guess being like a an American that speaks one language, I feel like you I'm don't like, speak more than no, one. I'm surprised. You seem very like someone that would speak. Like, I know. Would... I want to. Well, so Brandon and I, we're going to learn Tagalog and in italian because he's italian and then i'm obviously filipino mm-hmm. and so we feel like it's important to kind of like that follow great. those lines mm-hmm. um so we're both gonna learn them together but that's we a good haven't, like yeah. little activity to do yeah right like the small little activity of just like learning a language. <laughs> it feels very daunting i mean i know a little bit of spanish just because i took like five years of spanish but i think not having anybody to speak with like really i kind of feel like you can only go so far without actively speaking the language on like a regular basis yeah absolutely um at least when you're in the acquisition phase of like Mm. how do i speak this and how am i thinking in this way so i wouldn't i I definitely wouldn't say i speak spanish um but i like can sort of get by i mean that's i mean even just sort of getting by i think is good i think in any place that you travel to even if you can like if you were to go back to the philippines and you spoke tagalog and Mm -hmm. it wasn't the it wasn't perfect you know it's the attempt that that counts right. you know what i mean no, exactly. i'm sure the people the locals they appreciate it so even if you go to to mexico or spain and you try speaking you know some some spanish there it's a little broken you know they appreciate you trying i think that's what i've learned about the french is that you know the french have a reputation for being like you know very uptight and very rude towards americans but i think if you even try speaking their language they'll 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 warm up to you okay mm-hmm. see i i always my um like my understanding of the French word was the former that they that's what everyone assumes. And I think there's definitely, there are definitely, there are definitely assholes there. Yeah. But you know, I As think for the everywhere. most, exactly. But I think for the most part, like if you just try, you know, in most it's places, good enough. it's good enough. Okay. Okay. Well, we'll go back to kind of your global citizenship. Um, um, my school will love that, yeah. that you're using this term. Yeah. <laughs> in um, like in a bit, but I want to start with like, so you, I don't want to say like made a name for yourself at BuzzFeed, but we know each other because Mm -hmm. we both worked at BuzzFeed at the same time, which is so funny because I feel like we were friendly, but we weren't really friends. No, we didn't hang out till uh, till like uh, somewhat more recently. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I guess just the nature of, I don't know, we just were in different departments, uh, different teams where, you know, you, you Mm -hmm. know, so we didn't really cross paths too much. And you were there, I was an intern. So when I, when you were there, for the most of the time, that yeah. you were. so I was kind of running around for the most part, and so by the time I was more a full time producer, you were already at IGN, I was killing it, hightailing it out. Um, and it also, it's funny. I mean, not to reminisce on BuzzFeed too much, but I forget that they call people interns. 
when that's like not what you are. Well, yeah. Well, they tried changing it. They called us video fellows, but I was like, that was like, and by that point, that I was the first class where they started calling us video fellows. But before then, yes, they used the term intern, uh, video intern. Yeah, 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 yeah. But that was basically when BuzzFeed was, I don't want to say indoctrinating you, but you know, you're taking all of kind of, they had a certain way of doing things and they're teaching you. Exactly. Yeah, that was kind of them. their, yeah, exactly. They're trying to, the, the video junior fellowship, they called it. Or, and then the fellowship or what would have been previously known as just their internship, pro- video internship program was definitely their way of teaching you, you know, the BuzzFeed style, the yeah, BuzzFeed way of production. The BuzzFeed way. But so you do true crime. Yes. Yeah. I, I'm a, the majority of my work in the more in more recent years has definitely been in the true crime space. Mm-hmm. I was working for BuzzFeed for a while under their Unsolved Network channel, which is, again, their true crime, supernatural sort of hub and so that's definitely, yeah, that's where I've been for, for the past few years. Did you always have an interest in true crime or did you, how did that, how did you fall into that channel? Well, I've always had, I've always held an interest in true crime. I've always, I, growing up as a kid, I was always reading, you know, both true crime cases, but also like creepypastas too. I love mm-hmm. horror. Uh, and so it was kind of a natural fit, but I kind of fell into the channel because during COVID, I did this documentary uh, where I found, I solved rather the disappearance of my father's missing best friend who had been missing for a while and who we lost touch with. And it became a very, it's a, one of the, my, you know, the projects I'm most proud of. And it was a 32 minute documentary. We got into some festivals. Um, it was for Buzzfeed. Mm-hmm. And when we, when I was editing it and we were shooting it, we were wondering, oh, where will we, where will we place this video? Because typically prior to that, I was on Buzzfeed's main Buzzfeed video channel. Mm-hmm. And I'd never really done stuff on the Unsolved Network, but that just seemed like a natural fit for the Unsolved Network. And so it went there, it did very well. And it kind of introduced me to the audience. And just as COVID rolled on and we were trying to do the whole producing content from home, uh, that's where I just ended up doing uh, most of my work for the remainder of uh, the COVID years, I guess, and moving on. Yeah, well, and I remember when that doc hit, because I remember you posting about it, and I feel like, I don't know, that's a daunting task to have, like, your dad's best, you know, to, like, find somebody. Did, is like, was it intimidating? It was, it was, and it wasn't. I think I love taking on a challenge. I think that's mm-hmm. what excites me most creatively is when I'm taking on projects that are very scary and that are large scale. And it's a story that I had been wanting to tell for a while. My brother and I worked on it together and it's something that uh, you know we just want to do for my father as well. And it was definitely a, a case where we didn't know where it was going to go. We didn't know if we were going to find him alive find him dead you know uh and so there were a lot of questions but i think then that's where you know my mind as a storyteller as a filmmaker kind of like kicks in and i have to think okay no matter what the ending is i have to shape this story as it goes in a way that's going to be satisfying one way or another you know Mm -hmm. because you don't yeah because i couldn't predict what was going to happen and so it, it was stressful in the sense that you're simultaneously trying to solve a real mystery while also knowing you're trying to tell a story. Um, yeah, so I was going to ask, how do you balance that? Because I think it's hard enough as like a storyteller and as a filmmaker or a creator, you know, whatever you identify with to be telling a cohesive story and to be thinking about all of the elements, whether it's visual or audio or there's a lot that goes into making a documentary or making a video, right? Um and then on top of that, you're also actively solving like a case. Like, I guess I could just have a hard time wrapping my head around the fact that like you're kind of like investigative journalist mm-hmm. as well as filmmaker. 
is it something where on certain days, like you're wearing this hat and on another day you're wearing this hat or have you kind of just figured out a way to balance it all at the same time? It's a, it's a bit of both. Sometimes you're wearing both hats at the same yeah. time and it definitely gets very uh, difficult at times, but sometimes you, that's why I, that was a very learning experience for me because, you know, since then I've taken on similar projects where I'm helping people and their mysteries and their cases. And I'm doing the same sort of thing where I'm producing something while also actively investigating. And it gets, it's, it's, it, sometimes you just kind of have to, I've learned rather that at times you just kind of have to do kind of like the somewhat surreal thing of being like, okay, you know, we're discovering this kind of weird thing, this this unsettling sort of thing, but then also being like, okay, well, I have to need to break away from that and that emotion to make sure to capture it too on camera, which mm-hmm. feels a little, yeah, it feels uh, at times disingenuous to be like, okay, we just found out this crazy thing, but we need to just, I need to do retake that emotion and make sure that I'm capturing it properly on camera too for the story. And so it's a, it's a weird place to be. And especially a lot of it is self-produced, like the stuff in during COVID, like we, I didn't have a crew at all. So a lot of it, I just had to learn on the go. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, it's definitely stressful, but it's exciting too. Like I said, I enjoy the challenge. Yeah. And I guess I'm realizing that we jumped into, obviously you shared that you made that first doc with mm-hmm. um, Buzzfeed or that lives on Buzzfeed channels, but on your own channel, like you pursue, I guess, mystery and kind of these like unsolved and macabre situations. Yes. Uh, yeah. On my own personal channel, uh, I cover both true crime cases, but I also do enjoy doing uh, more larger investigative content in the both just true crime, but just like in the, I guess, the darker side of the world. I like to do what, I like dark travel content, I call it. And, you know, I, I, I did it a bit last year. I don't know if I'll be doing more of it moving forward just because of this, the sheer scale of it. It's sometimes a, a lot to do on my own. Um, but, yeah, I, I'm very fascinated with just exploring the darker side of the world, but also like tying it into very real issues. And, you know, especially when it comes to travel, you know, I want to highlight, you know, the people and, uh, you know, for example, you know, if I'm going to a country like the Philippines, you know, the mm-hmm. struggles of the people and how it correlates to the stories I'm telling and a lot and providing them, you know, a platform to to speak up about their issues and not being the voice for them necessarily too. Yeah. And I think that's like a very nuanced take. And I, I mean, obviously we're friends and I admire you as a creator, as a creative and as a filmmaker, um, but also like you're a good person. That's very um, sweet. And I think that that's like something that is often maybe overlooked when it comes to kind of the true crime, um, I mean, we won't get into kind of the rabbit trail. Is that a word? Rabbit trail? Rabbit, rabbit hole, but I like rabbit, rabbit hole, trail more. Rabbit hole. The rabbit hole of like travel content and how mm-hmm. it may or may not treat like the people living in those mm-hmm. places. Um, exactly. But in terms of true crime, I think that there's definitely an ethics question to be had, right? Because um, personally, and I'm not saying this to, um, what would be the word? You know, if you watch and engage in true crime content or content, shows, movies, whatever, podcasts, doesn't matter. Like that's your choice and I'm not judging you at all for that. But personally for me, I found myself like really into it for a minute. And then I think the Jinx, that documentary on Mm -hmm. um, HBO, which is absolutely wild. People listening to this have not watched it. I know this is, I guess, maybe going against what I'm about to say, but it's truly (laughs) it's insane it's an insane documentary um but anyways long story short i kind of disengaged because i found that i guess i always just assumed that when these big documentaries were going on netflix or hbo or hulu or whatever that it had been with full consent of like the victims families but that's kind of not really the case 
Um, and so I don't know, I guess I just wanted to pick your brain on how you feel. Well, let's start there. How do you feel about the ethics of true crime? I mean, that's something that we've even talked about, you know, off, Mm -hmm. uh, off camera, you know, uh, as something that's always something that's kind of been difficult for me about, I stumbled into the true crime space really, like I said, because of that documentary and I've been doing stuff in the space, but there's definitely a part of me that for years that has been like, okay, I, if I'm going to be making true crime content, I want to be able to, you know, do it in a way that feels more purposeful like in like there's a there's a role for me in it you know Mm -hmm. i'm either helping people or i'm shining a light on something providing a voice a platform for people who need it um or who otherwise wouldn't have it not necessarily need it but uh as opposed to like you know just telling you know the regurgitating the facts of some gruesome true crime case for the sake for the sake of like clicks ad revenue that kind of stuff it's always been very that's where it gets really murky for me and i think that's where i find difficult that's where I find a lot of difficulty with it. And I've had, and I've done videos like that, both for my personal channel and for Buzzfeed, where it's just, you know, me in front of the camera, just telling a true crime case. And it, it definitely makes you feel, I don't know. I, I feel a little bit like, I feel this very unattached to that content. Mm-hmm. It feels very, it's not something I really want to be making. It's not something I hope to continue making really truthfully. Uh, it's just because it's like, yeah, because at the end of the day, the simple way of looking at it is that you're you're profiting or a company is profiting uh, from just these horrible events that happen to someone, you know? And, yeah. You know, like, how many times can I tell the story about uh, some poor young woman getting chopped up into bits, you know? It's like, it's, it's not only is it obviously mentally taxing, but at the end of the day, it's like, I'm not really contributing anything to the conversation. Like, perhaps I'm bringing awareness to it, which is great, I you know, I guess, um, because there is benefits to true crime. You know, people do listen to it because it helps them feel safer. They learn, you know, to be more aware of things. So there's, I, I recognize the benefits to it and the benefits to me telling those stories. But at the same time, even just creatively, it's like, it's not inspiring for me to mm. be like, okay, on this date, this thing happened. On this date, you know, the body was found. On this date, the court case. It's like, it's, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's, it's tough. Yeah, well, and I think it's, it's just, it's, it's a gray area. It's just such a gray area, right? Mm-hmm. And I think it's like really fascinating because, we are so fa- we as a society are so fascinated by it mm-hmm. and i don't know if i just became aware of it or if it's always kind of been there but it feels like in maybe the last like four or five years maybe like three or four years there was there's been this like huge boom of yeah. true crime content and everyone at least our age seems to be like very into it and typically i find that the people i know that are really into true crime are usually women yeah, that's the, the uh, statistics from what I understand have mm-hmm. shown that it's predominantly women. Uh, I know like on the Unsolved Network, uh, BuzzFeed's Unsolved Network, like the 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 statistics or I guess the metrics showed a lot of women, I think majority women as well. And again, again I, I don't know the exact reasons why I, I haven't really looked into the studies, but I believe it's for some of the reasons that I mentioned where, you know, it helps them feel safer, helps mm-hmm. them feel like feel like they're more aware of their surroundings or like ways they can protect themselves. And so like there's definitely been a big boom. I mean, you see on when you go on like any of these streaming platforms, there's the, they're just churning out documentaries left and right, you know. Um, and uh, I think it speaks to a very, you know, primal thing in us. I think humans mm-hmm. uh, enjoy, you know, looking and staring into the void a little bit at times and seeing, you know, how dark things can get. Um, so I think I, I understand definitely the curiosity behind it. Yeah. It's just so. Oh, from, I do too. Yeah. I think it's more from a creative place where I'm like, I don't know if I necessarily want to keep doing this. Yeah. Well, and you touched on too, is I didn't even think about like how I guess mentally taxing as the creative on the other side of the camera that has to be. 
Like, is there anything that you do to balance out? I know that you don't do all true crime, but I feel like even kind of the dark travel content that you do, maybe this is because I'm a wimp, but it's spooky, right? And Mm -hmm. like, there is kind of a darkness to Mm -hmm. it. Do you do anything either creatively or just self-care wise to kind of balance that out? That's a good question. I think, I think honestly at this point, and it's kind of, it's, it's a, it's, it's, it's kind of sad thing to say, but I think I've become so, uh, what's the word? What's the one? Desensitized. Desensitized. Mm -hmm. That's the word. Yeah. It's like, it's, I've just done, I've just done so much of it that at this point it's like, it, and that's probably why I feel so like uninspired with a Mm -hmm. lot of just like not, well, like with specifically with that type of true crime content where it's like, again, just like telling the facts of a case. Like when I make those videos, the truth is I'm just like, okay, I'm going to read out the details and just like I, my brain kind of switches off to an extent. Yeah. And like there's nothing really for me to – like I can add my reactions, my commentary to it. But apart from that, like again, I'm not really contributing anything to it. So I just kind of just do it in an almost kind of a robotic way in my mind. And, uh, you know, I apologize to him who does watch my content and, and is hearing <laughs> this. But, you know, it's like it's – that's just the the truth. It's like it's there's only there's a certain point where like I probably told at this point, God, probably over a hundred true crime cases like in that style. Wow, over a hundred. Based on I'm guessing from from what I'm doing on BuzzFeed in the past three four years, my channel, and then also like even doing TikToks for BuzzFeed and for my channel, like yeah, I mean, so at this point, it's just like that's so much, Aria. <laughs> I know, and, and you know, so like by yeah, again by the tenth like depressing case that I've told I'm probably like it's like my mind just like locks it away would you consider yourself like a true crime expert that's the thing you know what I would say that I'm knowledgeable but so many of the cases I tell like I'm so desensitized that I kind of just like I don't want to think about them you don't retain it I don't retain it like so I can can give you like broad strokes of a case I've covered but like the nitty-gritty it's like I kind of don't want to remember those things you know unless it's like particularly relevant to something I'm doing but yeah, well, yeah. it's heavy. It is, it is. But uh, to your question, though, like when I do the travel content, though, the dark travel stuff, yes, it deals with the darker stuff. But I enjoy that because, again, I am more active in that. Mm-hmm. You know, like, for example, if I'm like traveling to a place or to the site of where like some horrific event has taken place, like when I was in the Philippines, I went to Corredor Island where there was a, 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 a secret massacre that I was kind of unearthing. You know, like that felt like I was an active participant in doing something, you know, mm-hmm. and that also, you know, giving that active element to things allows me to imbue a little bit more of my personality because like, again, when if I'm telling the story about yeah, you know, just someone getting murdered again, um, then like, it's like, I can't really infuse, like, I'm not going to be infusing humor into that or any sort of like, it's like, it's, it's like, it's a weird, and, and <laughs> for I, sure. And I'm naturally, like, I try to be very You're like, light. I try to yeah, be yeah, yeah. in what I do mm-hmm. in everyday life. And also in a lot of the work I do, like prior to my true crime content, I guess, I, like I said, I was on Buzzfeed video, their main channel. And a lot of my work was a lot lighter. Yeah. Um, and so obviously when it comes to true crime, I have to pull a lot of myself away from that. And so when I do travel though, that gives me more of an opportunity to just, you know, be a bit more myself and that, allows me to give that kind of like that that little like uh that balance for my mental health i guess so i don't feel like i'm just like being someone or like at least locking away parts of who i am have you ever felt like you've been in danger like i've watched some of your videos and i am scared for you Arya. yeah and you know what's weird i've there have been times where i felt like i've been in danger and and i'm not even just saying this it, it maybe it makes me sound like a lunatic but i love that i love that rush and I okay. think that's part of like the investigative journalist part yeah. of me. I'm not even a journalist. I've never trained to be a journalist. Yeah. I remember this is a side note, but I did this video where I was covering uh, this this scandal in the K-pop industry where, uh, you know, uh, 
there's a K-pop singer, Sungri, who went to jail. It was, it was crazy. It was wild. I covered it. Um, and there's all there's a, 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 along those lines, there was another K-pop scandal involving, um, you know, a spy, a spy cams, basically, because like these, these K-pop stars were putting like tiny uh, spy cams and recording like them assaulting women and stuff <gasps> like that. Terrible stuff. Uh, because it's, I forget the name, oh, Molka. It's like a phenomenon in South Korea. It's like a form, I, I believe it's a genre of porn where it's just like spy cam, like porn. Like, it's like people get off on that. And so uh -huh. you can buy tiny little cameras there. So you're going to be on the lookout for that when you're in Korea, not to scare yeah, you. Yeah, oh my gosh. <laughs> but anyways, I did this video and then I got assaulted online by you know uh, fans of these k-pop stars yeah. uh, specifically the first guy uh even though he he did get they, they did say that they, they told me i'd be getting my comeuppance that you know he was gonna he was gonna get away with, like he was gonna be innocent and i don't want to get into it all because i don't get attacked again but anyway <laughs> it turns out he was guilty he got charged he got jail that time that was after your video came out after my video came out anyways my point is they were all calling me they were all saying you're, you're a terrible journalist you know you're 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 you know, the, you know, you're a fraud, you know, and all this kind of stuff. And I want to say, I'm not a journalist. I've never trained. I've never studied to be a journalist. <laughs> I'm not trying to be a journalist. I'm not yeah. trying to be a journalist. That said, there are journalistic uh, inclinations I do have, especially when it comes to the investigative work I do. Okay, so, um, you know, whenever I'm traveling to these different countries, I always like to go to like their subreddits beforehand mm -hmm. to ask them, you know, the people, you know, the locals, what stories you want to be told. That's a part of my, you know, we, you touched upon it earlier about like travel content. Like, yeah, I, I never want to be someone who's just kind of there and like just like shining a camera around. And, you know, yeah, I want to make sure I'm telling, especially when it comes to like very serious investigative stories. I want to tell the stories that they feel need to be told. And also mm -hmm. I love working with local crew, with local activists, people, and, you know, bringing them on camera too, because they, they can speak to the issue so much better than I can. Yeah. And so I go on these reddits and I remember when I went to the Romania subreddit and I asked them, I told them, Hey, this is who I am. I'm coming to Romania. I want to tell important stories. You know, like what are some of the issues that you think need to be told? Illegal logging was like the most common answer I got, which you wouldn't okay. think, you know, like exactly you think illegal logging, like these people are cutting down trees, which is a horrible issue, but you wouldn't think it's as dangerous and as dark of an issue as, as it is. It also uh, feels kind of niche in a way, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Like, I mean, I love nature, but also if people were like illegally chopping down trees in the Santa Monica, I don't know, national park or whatever, <laughs> yeah. I not only wouldn't be aware of it, but I don't know that I would passionately like be on Reddit yeah. Like somebody needs to shine a light on this. Yeah. How interesting. Okay. It's 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 a very big issue there, and also uh, it's actually also a very big issue in Brazil, which has a very very a lot of parallels between them. Mm -hmm. So in Romania, the people, the cartels that basically run all this illegal deforestation, all this illegal logging, and obviously the issue goes up top towards the government to a lot of corruption there. They're called the timber mafia, and mm -hmm. I believe the one in, in in Brazil is called the the rainforest mafia because they're the ones chopping down the mm -hmm. Amazon. Terrible stuff, and, and Brazil's. Just as bad, if not worse. It's like I don't want to compare. I'm more well versed on the issues in Brazil. It's very similar. Then, though. Okay. Basically, people are dying in both countries, getting attacked, beaten, activists getting. It's it's terrible stuff. Anyway, so I was in Romania, and so I, so when everyone told me in the Reddit that you have to cover this, I said, of course I'm going to do so. But I also remember that multiple people, when they would tell me this in the Reddit, they'd also say, if you want to do this, though, it's very very dangerous, and so you have to be you have to be ready for that. Yeah. Uh, and you know, consider that. Uh, and so I connected with local activists. I connected with a filmmaker and, and a journalist there who had covered this for years, this issue. He himself, he had been kidnapped. He'd been beaten. He'd been, uh, he used the word sequestrated. And what like does he, that mean? Well, that, when he said that at first, I thought he meant he had a part cut off of him. But no, that's what I thought too. <laughs> thankfully not. I just meant sequestrated is basically like he was 
kidnapped. He was held. He was sequestered somewhere. Oh, which yeah, I know. It's Honestly, lo- lo- I <laughs> no, no, don't bad. ever want to get kidnapped. I don't even want to put it in the air. But if if there was a situation where I had to tell somebody that I got kidnapped, I think I would say I got what is it sequestered? Sequestered. Sequ- sequestrated. Sequestrated. Well, I guess the word is you get sequestered. So sequestrated. Sequestrated. He used the word. I was like, wow. I was like, first okay. of all, I was like, what does that mean? I was like, <laughs> man, this man is convicted. Yeah, he was. He was. Yeah, he had. He had like gnarly. Like, he had scars on him. He when he was kidnapped, he had to escape. They didn't let him go. He like well, somehow I was gonna ask he that. got out. Of, he got out somehow. It was like he. It was it was a wild story. And he'd been in like. Is that in your video? Not the fo- he him talking about it, but there's no footage. Okay. But then there was yeah. another one of the activists I was supposed to meet with. He ended up having like a liver issues. Oh my goodness! So I couldn't meet with him. But he was the liver issues like. I'm not related to okay, <laughs> maybe drinking that. issues or something, but uh, but he himself had even worse. I actually have footage in the documentary that I made because he had uh, he was one of the activists. His name uh-huh. is Tiberu, a, a hero truly. Uh, and he, but he had been not only beaten, his car had been run off the road. There's footage of that that him and his daughter were filming a live stream, and suddenly, uh, you know, they're getting chased by activists who ram into his car. They're screaming. It's terrible. That's just one of the things that's happened to oh him. Apart my from that, gosh. he had been uh, one time. He and some other filmmakers from HBO, I believe, were in the woods, much like I was about to do, going into the woods, and he um, and he and the filmmakers were stopped by these. In the timber mafia by one of these groups and they were beaten one of the journalists were beaten one of the filmmakers was beaten so bad that he was like he blacked out and he was like when he woke up he was he filmed himself and he was wandering around he didn't re- remember what happened and then there was footage of tiberu tiberu uh, this, this activist where he they stripped him naked they made him get naked and they were filming it to humiliate him and, and like there's a video of that that was like circulating around terrible oh my stuff gosh. Uh, Anyways, that's all to say it's a terrible issue, but it's also a very dangerous issue. And so when I went there, I met with this the journalist, the one who had been kidnapped, and he said, you know, like don't don't do the, uh, like you know you, you shouldn't do this. If you want to go to the forest, you know, just be aware that you're gonna you know uh, uh, you know you might get beaten by clubs because you <laughs> Sorry, know. I should uh, laugh, but it's just such a ridiculous. Uh, because in Romania, they don't have access to guns as easily, you know, mm-hmm. thankfully as easily as we yeah. as we do in this country. Like it's very very hard. To, like they were stressing, it's very hard to get a gun there. And so people there in the woods, you know, they're gonna beat you with clubs, like literally with clubs. <laughs> and he said, like he he would describe them. I'm not. I'm not saying I, this is his words. He would say like they're kind of like they're yeah, kind of like cavemen. He would say the people in the mountains because they're very he would think, you know kind of uneducated and they're just like you know they're like thugs essentially uh, yeah that are working for these cartels. Um, Do they are? I'm gonna ask a possibly insensitive question. Are there clubs made of the logs that they're hitting when <laughs> they're dropping down? So that they're beating these activists? That's with- fucked up, but it's probably true. That, I've never thought that is so fucked up, but that they probably do. <laughs> oh my gosh, insult the injury. It's, that is a very good point. Oh, oh my, my god. gosh. Also, we'll link um, Arya's doc in the oh, show yeah, notes. Yes, um, I appreciate that, Sid. But... but- yeah. Oh my goodness. So in that case, like you obviously went in. And I obviously did it went anyways. in because I was thinking, you know, like, and that's the part of me that's like, it's one of the th- those things where it's, it's reckless. I recognize that it's very reckless to do. You know, like I didn't tell my parents that I was doing it uh, until it was done. Um, I remember I went on Instagram on my close friends. You might have seen this. I did see that. That, that was that. With that, I don't think well, you twice, said twice. Twice it happened. Okay. I did another video too where I went into situations where a little hairy where I said. This is who I'm with. This is my contact information. This is where I was last seen. Because I didn't know there was going to be, there, I figured there was going to be no signal in the woods either. Yeah. So I was like, whatever happens, this is the last people I was with. You know, like I, it was a very serious thing. Like, you yeah. know, like, so I didn't want to put anything, like, this is my location. Um, and so, yeah, I did it. Uh, it's reckless, but at the same time, I feel like that's where I thrive is kind of in those positions where 
you know, like you're you're doing something and you're doing something that, you know, matters to a degree. Yeah. Um, and I knew that there was, again, this is why it comes to back to my point where a lot of the true crime before that I cover where it's just true crime cases, there's no intention real or purpose. No, there's no intention behind it or purpose, I feel. Whereas here, when you're doing this sort of stuff, there is a purpose to it. And so that's what motivates me. And I figured if I'm going all the way to Romania, like I'm going to go to the heart of the issue. I'm not yeah. going to be, you know, just staying in my hotel room and talking about the details from my bed, you know. So, and so what was that like? Like, the, I guess the two times that you've had that you've posted that because I definitely I vividly remember one. I don't know. Maybe I saw the second. And I was like, Aria's up to it again. <laughs> like, it'll be fine. But um, like, what is that? That because that's that's heavy. Like, what is it like posting to your close friends? Because you legitimately are like, I'm getting into a dicey situation. I yeah. don't know. It's, it's, I mean, it is, in a way it is what it is. It's like, it's one of those things where it's like, I kind of have to do this. I hope people don't think, that's why it's on my close friends, I guess, but I don't people hope people don't, otherwise I'm being too dramatic, but it's like, it's, 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 those are the stories that give me purpose. And so like, that's just part and parcel, I guess, of what I want to do and what I'm doing. And so it's like, that's just something I have to do. Um, the first time I posted, I remember it was because I was going to the the Paris catacombs into yeah. the illegal side, and I was meeting up with someone who I'd never met before, who's a friend of a friend of a friend. And uh, I remember when I went onto servers or forums beforehand about you know the catacombs, uh, going you know diving into the catacombs. People would say, you know, you don't meet up with strangers, you're going to get you know mugged and robbed. And so there was a very good chance that was going to happen. When well, you're showing up with a camera, exactly, like we yeah. exactly expensive camera equipment. Like there's a very good chance that this friend of a friend of a friend, like. Um, is actually a foe yeah exactly <laughs> i like that yes exactly he very well could have been yeah and so that's why i posted that and that as well and um but i would say definitely the romania one was the more dangerous one that one was the one that was a lot more you know there's the, my life was at risk you know at, yeah. in paris most worst case maybe my camera you know mm -hmm. um but anyways yeah, so wait in romania obviously you didn't get kidnapped thankfully you know yes did anything happen we were lucky that nothing happened. We did see it was it was really fascinating to be with these activists because we were driving deep into the mountains. It was a wild day because I was woke up in in the in Bucharest uh, and I had to, we had to drive from Bucharest to to the mountains, which was an eight hour drive. Drove there and then we hopped into the, one of the activist jeep because obviously my rental car wasn't going to go up in the mountains. We went into the jeep and even going into the jeep, like he was saying, this is an active logging site. But he was said we should be okay though because it was during the daytime. And usually they work at night. But even then we were, he would flag stuff like these little traps they would leave. Like, oh. like he said, like, oh, they're, they're leaving branches in a certain way. So that way our car hits it so they know someone's gone by. And on our way back down, I remember him saying that a, a, a I guess, what do you, a scout for the mafia, like, was like, had, had seen us. And like, so he had like a bit of an exchange with them. And so they knew we were up in the mountains, but by, thankfully by that point we had already gone back down. But oh yeah, when we were gosh. up there, saw some terror, saw the deforestation. It was, it was like, it was, it was, it was, it was a, a what we saw was just like a, a fraction of it too. But just to see these beautiful, you know, Carpathian mountains in Romania, you know, these big gigantic trees. And then just to see basically just a giant bald spot where these trees have just been hacked to bits. Yeah. It's, it's, Why are they like, what is the motivating factor there. money I you mean, know yeah. they, they're, they're just this money and i'm i'm gonna call it ikea ikea have been linked to allegations of buying some of this legal wood because you know they're able to uh to essentially you know, the, the these the timber mafia is able to basically essentially what they're doing is they're cutting down and, and part of the method they use is that there are certain allotments of wood mm -hmm. that can be cut down you want to cut down the the dead trees and replace them with you know 
yeah. newer trees. But essentially what's happening is that the, the corruption is allowing in some pockets of the woods healthy trees to be cut down and essentially not be replaced or to be replaced with unhealthy trees. And so essentially, so essentially the... You can keep cutting things down. Yeah, mm. but they're cutting down all the... They're cutting down healthy trees is the issue <sighs> here. And obviously then they can sell it at the price points they want, et cetera. It's, 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 it's a mess. Yeah. Yeah. Shit. Yeah, not that's so great. How long were you on the mountain for? L we didn't want to be there for too long. It's so probably like three hours, and oh, then too back. long. Three hours. I thought you were just like thirty minutes. No, no, no. <laughs> we, that was a, we had to trek a little bit too. Yeah. Uh, I had to get my drone footage, <laughs> and uh, oh and but yeah, then we got back down, and then I had to drive. That was actually honestly, and at the end, what turned out to be the most dangerous thing, and I would recommend anyone listening to this never do this. But the most dangerous thing was actually the drive back because I didn't sleep that entire day. So actually, I drove eight hours into the mountains. We went up the mountains three hours and then we went back down and I drove in eight hours back. And so like I was oh. awake for what, like that's probably like, yeah, 20, 20 plus hours. And that was, yeah, so driving back overnight, that was, that was, that was not smart. And in hindsight, I'm so glad and thankful that nothing happened. But I'm, uh, yeah, never doing that again. Um, driving tired is it was scary. gnarly. Yeah, especially that late at night. Like it's just... Yeah, and, and then my my the filmmaker I was with too, he didn't have a license, so I had to do all the driving myself. Oh, <laughs> so, oh, well, you at least had somebody in the car. I did, I did. I mean, um, still rough, but but yes, I did have yeah. someone to chat with. Um, uh, but yeah, I don't oh know. Oh my it's, gosh, yeah, so, wild times. Okay, so you are exhilarated by this. Yeah, it's in, in a weird way. I guess you know what you you have always had a certain curiosity that I've known you because I remember when I was at BuzzFeed. And so part of my job doing YouTube strategy was also making sure everything could get monetized because <laughs> that was how BuzzFeed made yeah. their money. And I remember every time we would get an Aria video, you went through this streak where you were so curious about sex workers and you would make these documentaries about spending a day with like somebody who works in some sector of the se of you yeah. know the sex working industry and you can't monetize those aria. <laughs> yeah. and, uh, yeah. So we'd get these videos coming through. And I mean, they were very tastefully done. But also before I knew you, we were always like, who is this guy who's <laughs> getting paid to go like hang out with sex workers? Like what even <laughs> is this content? And then we'd watch and be like, oh, this is actually really thoughtful and intentional. Like, okay. But also we can't, this is age gated. It's not even <laughs> yeah. not monetized, which for people not listening. So monetization on YouTube is running ads on it. And that's how you know, um, channels make money. And then age gating is almost like a death sentence because yeah. it means you have to be 18 plus to watch the videos. And so not only is that demonetized pretty much every time, but also it's not being served to people very often because it's just the algorithm doesn't see it as yeah. like a good video to serve to most people. Um, so I do remember you always had a little bit of a curiosity for maybe more taboo subjects. <laughs> yeah. I think it comes to a play. I, that's a, that's a very funny point and you're very accurate. I think there was definitely at least five videos I made in the space of a few months about the adult industry. My first ever video, cause during the Buzzfeed video internship, you make one video and my video was about a phone sex operator. And I remember I liked the video, but I remember as soon as it went up, like within the day, it got like age gated. Yeah. And I thought, oh man, I'm not going to get a job here because, the, you know, my video is not going to perform well. Um, but then, yeah, I just ended up doing more stuff with the adult industry. It, it, I think it comes from a place where I, again, I, I just like, I'm very curious about yeah. people, about what they do, about cultures in the sense of not just like going to places like Romania or the Philippines, but cultures in the sense of like, you know, community, you know, subcultures. Mm -hmm. That's why I did stuff with juggalos. I did stuff with furries. I did stuff with all these different, like, you know, even marginalized, you know, I would say, yeah, marginalized subcultures and communities, because again, it comes to that place where if I'm working for a place like BuzzFeed, 
I want to use that platform to shine a positive light on, you know, uh, the adult industry, on furries, on juggalos, all of whom were all very wonderful to me. I will say there was one video I didn't do about the adult industry, which I haven't, uh, I don't think I've ever told the story to you uh, or anywhere really, but uh, there was one video I was going to do about the adult industry, uh, which I ended up not doing. That was the one time where I kind of like drew a line mm -hmm. for me. And it was a video where I wanted to star in an adult film. <laughs> <laughs> but but I wasn't going to I wasn't going to be the performer. I wanted uh -huh. to be like the pizza guy. You know, I wanted oh, okay. the title was you know, going to be like usually the pizza guy is also yeah, usually a performer. the performer too. I just wanted to be, I wanted to be the pizza guy that delivers a pizza and then they have sex on the pizza or like <laughs> the not my salad lady. I wanted to be that. You know, like just yeah, yeah, yeah. a very small cameo because uh -huh. that'd be a fun. It would have been a fun title. It would have been like I started in an, I starred in an adult oh, yeah. film. And Which would have probably been age gated as well. It would have been age gated, but I feel like that would have pushed through just because it's a really intriguing. Yeah, exactly, I think people would have click. clicked it. Yeah. And then on top of that, what again? I, I always want to give a very like you know a, a human side of these stories. Like it's a fun title, but I also want to give content, like actually impactful content. So I would have obviously spent the day on the on the set. I would have interacted with the the stars, learned more about what day to day, what real day to day life is like for them on set. So we get a real perspective yeah. on the industry. Um, and I worked with a company. The first company I did. Uh, uh, one, of my, one of my first videos for BuzzFeed was I spent the day at an adult entertainment company. They're a company called Vixen. Yes, I remember that. Um, uh -huh. and, uh, and so I contacted Vixen again. I said, I got this project I want to do. And they said they were down for it. And uh, I remember I got a, 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 I had a call with the director. She was wonderful. Caden Cross, uh, who mm -hmm. was uh, a, still a performer, was a performer. Anyways, and they were all so kind to me. And I, so, so I felt bad, ha bad having to back out of this. But I remember getting on the call with her. And she said, you know what? We're, we're excited to do this. Uh, and we've got uh, we've got such a great role for you in this. They said so. This is the story. So the story we're planning on filming is we're gonna get they named like a few different like big name actresses. Mm -hmm. I think maybe Tori Black was one of them. I'm just naming her because she's a big one. I don't know okay. if you know. I, I, these are all going over. My They're head. all my friends at this point, sure, you know. Sure, yeah. <laughs> uh, but uh, anyways, yeah, she was named a bunch of these big actresses. She's saying the plot of the story is you are you. You are you know this 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 content creator. You know like who in the past dated one of the stars of this film. Oh. Uh, you know, you are her ex. But back in the day, you were a little bit nerdy. You are a little squirrely. But now you're becoming a bit of a big thing. And uh, she is now engaged. But before she gets married, she, she, wants, to, she wants to send you a little message. Oh. And so this message is, essentially, I was going to go to hers. Uh, and then her and her friends, these other uh, adult stars... Uh, they were going to tie me up to a chair and make me watch them as they uh, had sex, but I couldn't do a thing about it. So that oh, was my punishment. Okay. So I couldn't do a thing. I couldn't be involved. What an interesting punishment. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, the, the torture, I guess it was supposed to be torturous that I couldn't okay. you know, join yeah. in the fun. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I thought, that's a bigger role than I thought I was going to get. <laughs> a lot of screen time for <laughs> A lot you. of screen time. Uh, and I probably would have seen everything. <laughs> yeah. And, and I... I don't know if I was in a relationship at the time or not, um, but even then, like, I was, I was almost ready to be like, okay, I mean, like, sure, let's do Why it. Not? Why not? Yeah. Why not? You know, it'd be an experience, you know, but then I thought, you know, there's so much more I want to do in my career, like in traditional film, TV, and like, I don't know how much that could potentially impact my career yeah. if like I'm in an actual adult film. Like, let's say I want to work with Disney someday. 
I, you know, they like, might have a problem with that. Might have a problem with me yeah. having been in an adult film. So thankfully, I am no, have never been in an adult film. But that's the closest. Uh, the I've one ever that come. got away. The one that got away, and I felt so bad having to say no to them. I don't know if they ever filmed the, that to be. In the end. They ha- they saved it for you. Yeah, you? If yeah you maybe if mind, I change my mind, maybe up. I can sit and get strapped down and watch. <laughs> you know, four beautiful women. You know, uh, make love to each other. Um, but yeah. Oh, wow. What a yeah, I don't know what we would have done with that if you would have made that video. <laughs> yeah. That would have made my job very hard. Yeah. What You want to say this, though? I met with the BuzzFeed legal team to make mm-hmm. sure, like, it was okay. They said, yeah, you can do it. They were fine you with it. You know what? That so, is something that which I... Which I was surprised by. They sounded surprised. No, I was surprised oh, that they that were okay they with they it. they were okay yeah. with it. So I have to say that is something that, like, I loved working at BuzzFeed. Obviously, there's, like, pros and cons. Everyone kind of has their BuzzFeed story and experience. But I feel like it was such a great, like, creative incubator where no one really ever said no. Like, you could try anything at least once, maybe even twice, mm-hmm. you know? And mm-hmm. I, like, I don't know if that was your experience, but I felt like with me it was very much kind of, like, try everything like every idea until we try it and realize if it's a good idea or not absolutely uh during the uh, the bulk of my time at buzzfeed i would say i was very very like creatively fulfilled mm-hmm. like and I, a lot of that credit comes down to my manager at the time but yeah you know like obviously there have been you know people have spoken out about their time at buzzfeed and obviously every experience is valid and so it's not to say that theirs isn't but my one overall like i said was very fulfilling because i got that creative freedom to kind yeah. of pursue to test to try and i grew a lot as a storyteller mm-hmm. uh as a filmmaker and so I'm, i am grateful for the opportunities that buzzfeed gave me uh and so yeah i totally get what you're saying yeah um okay so something that i that you said earlier is you're not a journalist what do you this might be my own ignorance but like what do you see being the difference between an investigative journalist and what you do i guess when i said that it was more so just as far as like having a degree like okay, I've never, yeah. I've never worked as an official journalist for any sort of media or news outlet. You know, my role at BuzzFeed was uh, just executive video producer at the end of my time there. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I never, I never, I, I, I never worked in any official journalistic capacity. I've never studied journalism, not even just mm-hmm. a class in journalism. So, in a sense, by and large, of like what a journalist is, I don't feel like I've earned that title. You can claim you know? it exactly. Yeah. Like okay. journalistic ethics standards, all these things that real journalists abide by. I'm I have no clue about. Okay, so I, don't I wasn't wanna... sure if you knew. Yeah, because I I don't know exactly like, what the difference is. I guess. Yeah, I, I'm not sure either. I think, but I think the. Like those are more like, I guess what I'm talking about when I, as far as like, when I mentioned like journalistic standards, those are, Mm -hmm. I guess, like the umbrella of what, like the official umbrella of what a journalist is. But I think like, I think all of us have the, have the capability, capacity rather to have journalistic uh, instincts, right? Because like, even like, you know, if you're doing stuff like, if you're someone who's like looking into your family's genealogy, like those are journalistic instincts to a degree, right? Mm -hmm. You're like curious about learning more about these things. You're investigating to a degree. And so like, again, so in a sort of a cheesy way, I guess, you know, we all have a little, we're we all, all have a little, a little bit of a journalist inside all of us. We're all journalists yeah. inside of us. Yes. Yeah, we're, journal- we're journaling the, the story of our lives. Oh, wow. Yes. Global citizens. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> wow. They really, whatever school that was, they really got in you, uh, Aria. Yeah, they, 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 yeah, they, that was in Thailand and, uh, they, they, they definitely got into me. Yeah. Take me through, because something that I'm so impressed with, I think all filmmakers, um, but something that I think shines really heavily in the type of film that you make is just that, like, how do you do it? So like start with, I guess, can you take us through the process of you're traveling to X country and then you said you go on Reddit and kind of try and find the stories and then what? 
kind of like what's your process? Well, specifically when it comes to my travel work, like I said, first and foremost, I want to elevate like the people, the culture, mm-hmm. the country and provide the opportunity for them to be the ones to speak on the issues. Every single project I do overseas when I'm traveling to these places, I, I have to work with locals. Like I'm never going to, I never want to be the guy that's just kind of there, like just like the foreigner, just like making a fool of himself, mm-hmm. you know, uh, yeah. and trying, even if I'm not, even if, even if I'm making, even if I'm making serious videos, I can still make a fool of myself by like talking out of my ass without like yeah. having a local to help guide me. And I think I learned a lot of that from like Anthony Bourdain's work, you know, mm-hmm. like whenever he traveled, he always had, you know, locals in his videos and in, in his content and in, in his, in his episodes, because it's important to have those voices to provide that cultural context, especially with serious issues like the ones I do. So my, I guess my process is I pick a country, you know, countries that uh, I feel, well, I'm also a little selfish. I pick countries where I haven't been either. So I get to experience a new culture. And that's what my brother always told me too. When I made these videos, I, I was always like, I hope these do well, you know, you know, the same sort of like, you know, the questions we always like uh, throw out there as creators. But yeah, I, I would always ask myself, you know, like, oh, I hope I would say, I hope this does well. But my brother would, would then say to me, you know, at the very least, you get to visit a new country, have beautiful hmm. experiences. So it's true. So you win, you win no matter what. And is so your I, brother also filmmaker he is in the sense that he's more of in the production side you know we recently produced a film together um which has just come out but uh, that's a that's a separate story but uh yeah my brother's uh you know he's someone i've worked with for a while but yeah when i pick i I pick a country and uh i lock in that country and then i go into subreddits i go on forums you know i'm very much you know i grew up online you know on these different forums so it's very easy for me to kind of like hop around on these different forums i use google translate a lot if i need to and I basically find the stories that, that I feel that they feel are most important. You know, uh, sometimes I'll then do research or submit a research request to researchers I've worked with in the past uh, through BuzzFeed. Um, and uh, I kind of like, I aim for like three to four stories per country, like in the Philippines. I've only done three countries so far. I did the Philippines, uh, Romania, and France. And I did one in Singapore too. But yeah, and so after that, I pick the country and then I start looking for the locals that can represent the story I'm telling. Mm-hmm. So it'd be How do you activists. Find locals? Um, well, a lot of the issues, thankfully, that I cover are such big issues that there are typically, uh, you know, like nonprofits or organizations mm-hmm. that fight to combat this issue, like activists who fight illegal logging or like in, uh, in the Philippines, I covered, you know, martial law, which was a big issue, obviously, many years ago. And obviously there's, there's still issues there with Bong Bong Marcos. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, you know, so obviously there are a lot of groups that are still like, making sure that martial law is never forgotten that you know the atrocities don't repeat themselves and so the i just, a lot a lot of cold emails i will say that i send mm-hmm. a lot of cold emails out and say hey this is who i am i'm doing this project would love for you or someone from your organization to represent to talk to be on camera and i find them and then i go from there and then local crew i go on sites i hire them off of sites like upwork upwork is very good to find freelancers in different countries so i find you know filmmakers on upwork Sometimes it's a friend of a friend uh, that's like in France and knows a filmmaker that might be able to help me. And uh, and what's great about working with these locals, like outside of the people being interviewed, is that when I find these filmmakers or crew through Upwork, they also act like as translators too, which mm. is great. So they're kind of like these local fixers uh, too, which is very important to have when you're in these different places. And I'm very grateful for them because again, like 
in certain places I wouldn't know how to find my way around I'd probably For be sure. getting you know ripped off potentially, potentially scams clubbed exactly I remember the 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 filmmaker I was with uh in Romania when we went to the woods uh he was he was he was uh not looking forward to that he was quite scared about getting clubbed but he came with me <laughs> and I was quite scared about he's quite he's quite scared of getting clubbed uh but uh yeah you know it's uh it's that's typically the process typically yeah. the process and then I, I film and um and I, I'm a one-man band for the most part. Like yeah. a lot of the filmmakers I work with, some of them are mainly just photographers that are there to document photos that I could put into the videos. But yeah, I sometimes I'm running camera, I'm running sound, I'm on camera, a little bit of everything. A one-man How do band. you fund them? Uh, I fund them uh, out of my pocket. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, and I won't lie, I am at a deficit. I have not made yeah. the money back uh, much at all just because, again, the cost Project of travel. Of passion. Yeah. They are projects of passion. At the end of the day, like, you know, they are, A, I make beautiful memories. B, you know, it's what's nice is that they are stuff that can go in my portfolio. Like I'm very proud of the documentaries and projects I've been able to make. You know, obviously then I also meet other filmmakers and then, you know, introduce maybe potential new, uh, you know, people in these countries are now aware of my work, which is great. And so like there is like, yeah, on the monetary level, yes, I don't make the money back, but I don't regret doing it because there's always, you know, other ways of, you know, getting, I guess, compensated, if you will. You yeah. Know, through, uh, even again, creative fulfillment is a huge compensation for me. Yeah, I mean, I said it earlier, but I think that I really look up to you, Aria, in terms of the following the creative urge. And it feels like you have these ideas and then you make it happen regardless of if maybe it makes sense to other people who are like, well, what are you doing? You're like spending time and money and you're not making money from this. Like, I think there's plenty of people who would stop themselves Mm -hmm. from following that but I feel like you just follow that passion so like with such conviction it's really really admirable as like from one creative to another because I think that's very hard to do oh that's very sweet of you to say I, mean, I feel the same way about you I mean look at you yeah. I mean look at you we're here you're doing your podcast and you've you've been doing so much since I, we first met at BuzzFeed that it's like it's exciting to see how you yeah. continue to grow and how you've and how you've grown and how you're going to continue to grow because yeah. I mean like it's it's exciting that's why I mean I, that's why I always love our chats too just outside of a friendship level just like creatively I feel like we're you know we we always you always bring up very interesting topics to me yeah. too you know about like the questions and the dilemmas of being a creative in this modern day yeah hence podcast I always have questions about being <laughs> yeah. a modern day creative um but okay so my last question with this before we move on because I want to hear about like your global citizenship ah, yes um, my school will love that is I will never let that die no, yeah. I hope you know that um but is like what safety precautions do you take going into these well apart from the close friend story you know there, there's not too much you know I will say uh I well, one of the videos I did in Romania before I did the logging one was mm -hmm. that I had a, uh, I was in the, we, we spent the night in what is purportedly the, the world's most haunted forest. Yeah. Oh, I saw that one. A little spooky. <laughs> uh, my, my, I don't my, know why you did that. It was my first time camping too. Uh, but I got, oh, that was, your that was like my first time camping. I don't really camp. It was in I'm, a haunted forest. Yeah. Oh my God. Uh, and, uh, and so as part of that, I, I bought a, a knife to use in the forest. And so I, I had that knife with me when I, when I went to the logging. So, you know, in case anything happened, I yeah. had my blade. Uh, but I guess yeah, that's good. no, I mean, like I said, like this, the, keeping people aware, I guess is what, again, that's why are. I posted mm -hmm. stuff on the close friend stories ahead of the Romania one. When I went to the catacombs, just like letting, I shared my location, even though like my signal, uh, died, um, you know, like, 
that's the, I mean, there's only so much you can do yeah. in, in those situations. Like I, I, like I said, for the catacombs and the forest, I didn't tell my parents because usually I tell them what I'm up to, but those ones, I didn't tell them what the projects were until they were done. Cause I didn't, I know they would worry. And so yeah, needless worry, needless worry. Yeah. And so, uh, yeah, I will say that when I went to the cat down to the catacombs, I remember I told my girlfriend, I told her I'd be there for, I said, okay, I'll be down there for probably th three to four hours. If you don't hear from me, this is the guy I'm meeting up with, Cyril, the French, this Frenchman. If you haven't, if you haven't, heard, me, if you haven't heard from me, Cyril has probably done something to me. Uh -huh. And I stayed down in the catacombs for like eight, nine hours. <gasps> <laughs> and so, Aria. but I know, and I felt so bad. And I, and I remember when I came back up, obviously my phone had been blown yeah. up. And she was like, should I be, I got messages from her. Like, should I, I, should I, oh, she did call it. And she did call it, but he didn't get the calls either <gasps> down no. underground. And so oh she probably gosh. thought I was, uh, I felt no, very bad. No. Uh, and same with my the filmmaker, well, the photographer I was with, she had a boyfriend too, and she told him the exact same thing too. And so he was also worried because I didn't think we'd be down there for that long, but yeah. you know, the catacombs was an incredible experience. And so we just ended up being down there for so long, but uh, yeah, and I lost track of time. And so by the time it was done, I was like, oh my God, it's like, yeah. It's been so long. My girlfriend probably thinks I've been butchered down in the catacombs. <laughs> um, I mean, but, that's a good story to go out, I guess. Yeah, exactly. If there was a place to die, the catacombs, I mean, you'd be nestled down there with millions of other corpses, so. Just yeah. one in a million. One in a million, yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so I mean, I take as much as I can. Yeah. I, um, I think the closest, most dangerous, other dangerous thing that I did was when I hear in, uh, for BuzzFeed, the video never came out, but you know, my- The video didn't come out? There's one video I did that didn't come out, which was uh, where I went to infiltrate a cult. Uh, and there were some legalities that uh, prevented it from coming out. But yeah, there's a cult- uh, someone, some, somewhat famous. They're called the they're called the Twelve Tribes, and they run a series of delis around the U.S. called the Yellow Deli. There's one near San Diego, which I hate to say it because it's probably been made by child labor, but the food is very good. <laughs> you look at the Yelp reviews. Some of the Yelp reviews are like, "We know this place is shady, but their food is very good, and their food is very good. It's very organic, healthy sandwiches, Wait, green really? juices." I was picture. So it's like one of those like hippie, healthy cults. Well, I, they're the cult itself. Well, they're definitely quite a hippie cult, but they but the food is the food. They yeah. have these restaurants that they, essentially they use because they have their uh, what do you call them communes, and so okay. they grow fresh vegetables, fresh tomatoes, <laughs> all that kind of stuff. Yeah, and so and they guess I guess they use that in their food. So their food is very good, very delicious sandwiches. I can't lie, desserts. Carrot cake was fucking incredible. Oh, I love a good carrot it cake. It was great. Damn. Uh, and so, yeah, we did a video where we went there and we kind of snuck in and I did some like naughty stuff that, you know, like I, my investigative journalist came out of me. I, I snuck into the kitchen <laughs> because they've been accused of child labor in the past. So I want to see if there were children in the kitchen. It's a wild video. I know. It's a wild video. Were there thing. children in the kitchen? There were no children in the kitchen. I, I didn't get very deep into it before I got kicked out. Was it a big kitchen? Were they like, what are you doing? It was back a pretty here? big I, 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 I was like pretending I was like, I, I had a fake ID on me. It was, it was bad. You had a fake ID on you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was wait, pretending no, to be someone I else. Hear, okay, wait. Yeah, yeah. I Take did me through this. Yeah, so I did this video at my, I went with my, um, my girlfriend who was a producer at BuzzFeed at the time too. So she was on camera talent. We weren't dating at the time, but then my friend Jack, who's my, who's like a fellow director and he was oh, DP. Know Jack. You know Jack, yeah. Jeff, uh, mm -hmm. Jack Dietrich. And so, yeah, as I, this is a video I'd been wanting to do for a while. I thought it'd be fun. It'd be fun and informative. And so obviously I interviewed a former member of the 12 tribes who told me yeah. about how, you know, like, because I don't, I don't want to speak out of turn and misspeak, but I believe that basically their 
belief system is they ascribe to a very old version of the Bible. And so that involves a lot of like, you know, they beat children and that kind of stuff. Like, like uh, Old Testament Bible like old, or like I think Old Testament old... Testament, but or like, I, I don't, like, that's okay. not, I'm not too sure, but like okay. some so version of the Bible look it up where, yourself. yeah, some version of the Bible where they're like, it's us, okay yeah. to do things like beat these children you know, okay. horrifically. Sure. Um, and so he had gotten out, this guy I had spoken with, and he told us all about, you know, what to look out for. And, um, now, I remember it was funny. We had a very serious conversation on the phone with him because he was mm -hmm. over, like in a different state. And he was telling us about all these things. And I think he was on at the end of the call. He says, well, you know, uh, while you're there, you know, try the carrot cake. It's good. Because <laughs> he worked in one of these delis, I yeah. think. Uh, and oh, it was very good. So he was like, right. How did you find that guy? He had either, I think he had written a book. Whenever I'm finding people, I always look for like, yeah, I think he had like written author, a book. So I'd look for like former 12 tribes person. He had written a book about his experience. Mm -hmm. um, anyways, and so yeah, we did that. We went there, but, uh, and obviously because of, you know, BuzzFeed being a corporation and being a company, they always want to look out for, you know, themselves. Can as they far get sued? As, exactly. And so had this been on my own channel, it, this would have gone up. I wouldn't have like, like, we had because we went in with hidden cameras, hidden mic, that kind of stuff, and um, and so like there was a lot of like kind of like, you know, like gray area yeah. as far as like you know sneaking around sort of stuff, which obviously BuzzFeed wasn't okay with at the end of the day, which to a degree I understand, but to a degree I also say that you know if you want to make great content, you got to push, you know, you got to push the mm -hmm. boundaries, uh, and um, at times BuzzFeed were not willing to do that. And that's why the video didn't come out. Um, that said, um, did you get any further than the kitchen? Like, did you interact with the cult at all? So or what's, you just went to the deli. So we we had uh, we had a, we had a, we had a double uh, kind of we had a plan. So what happened okay. was that Jack was going to go in first. We knew we couldn't film. We knew BuzzFeed was definitely not going to allow that. So we thought we'd at least mic ourselves up and just like capture sounds. We had hidden mics on. Jack was going to go in first because he had the sound. Uh, he had the sound recorder, and so that way he'd be able to record us when we go in. And so he was going to go in and. Pick up an order was his pick up our order our our carrot cake order <laughs> carrot to, to cake, eat okay. afterwards and then uh, to eat after to, yeah because <laughs> we wanted to try the food yeah. uh, and then uh, and then I went in no no okay no no then my girlfriend went in my now girlfriend I guess producer at the time she went in and she was going she's a great actress and mm -hmm. so she was going to be playing the part of a uh, of a of someone new to the area who was getting stood up on a blind date because she was hoping to get roped into the cult and she was hoping to like you know charm them and so oh. she went up to the the host of the desk and was like hey i'm looking for my date i don't know if he's here and then after a while she was like i think i'm getting stood up and that and then the, the host like kind of was like oh i wouldn't stand you up or something like that Ooh, so it was, was working like, yeah exactly and it, no it absolutely did work because eventually she started asking them more about them and like what this place is she said she's new to the town i think the guy we spoke with on the phone said that's like tell them that you're new and stuff like that because you're alone and then, um, and then they're like, oh, and then I guess he then brought out one of the waitresses who started speaking to her about their commune and she, they gave her a pamphlet to the commune. So she had the address because she, she said you should come to one of our weekly dinners or something like that at the commune. And so she was invited. She was in. And uh, obviously we never did a follow up, but yeah, she was in. She could have gone to the commune. She had the address, their farm, whatever it is. Um, and they're a big, they're, a, they're an around the world organization. So this, this was just one of their communes. Um, but so, so she succeeded yeah. and my role was i my role was i'm gonna get into this kitchen no matter what and uh and that that was my job and so i didn't really know how i was gonna do that and so i decided to end up if you watch the footage i guess i was caught in between playing a, a very drunk man or a very like a man on lsd or something like that because i was kind of just like i was loopy and i was i don't know why i went with that instinct but i was just like wandering around i wandered in i think they definitely thought that i was someone who was 
on something because uh-huh. they, they sat me down and I was just like, because I wanted to have justification for why I would go into you the kitchen because yeah. I was just kind of like this loopy guy. And so I started, you know, making wild claims that I was here to inspect the place. And uh, and they didn't believe that, obviously, because I think I'm just some high guy. And so I got up once, went towards the kitchen and they stopped me and I said, oh, OK, and went back to my chair. And then um, and then at some at a certain point, I was like, yeah, I'm just going to go to the kitchen. So I went in there and I just like I started I just started screaming and I was like, you started screaming. I was like where are the children where are the children and it was like <laughs> and they're like sir you have to leave you know we're gonna call the cops all this kind of stuff and I got kicked out so <laughs> oh where's the footage oh I have the footage I have the footage it's just not released publicly I don't know someday I will yeah uh, cut it together you could follow oh it's up. cut together the edit video oh, you it's, have, all, it's edited it's, it's edited. ready the video was ready to be published but then BuzzFeed at the last minute were like. We cannot put this Like you up. said, I don't really blame them from the context of like a legal department and how, yeah. you know, what their role is within an organization. But yeah. Oh, man. It would have been a great video. Yeah. It's a very, it's a very informative and a very funny video. Okay. Uh, but anyway, so I guess that's another somewhat, somewhat dangerous thing that I did. And I guess, I mean, like safety precaution wise, like. I guess we could have ran away. Well, the oh, the deli is kind of like in a strip mall sort of area. So it, there were a lot of witnesses. They couldn't do anything to me. <laughs> That's probably what gave me like a sense of safety yeah. too. Okay. So <sighs> more people. Yeah. In terms of safety, I just wasn't sure because like my, um, my ex, his dad, like whenever he's traveling, I guess he has some, he has like a guy that he like, um, I, again, I might be totally somewhat off base on this, but I know that the guy has something to do with like he has some sort of an insurance policy of like if he gets kidnapped, like this guy will come after him sort of a thing. Oh, I need that. I need that guy's number. Yeah. Uh, uh, <laughs> it's like that's great. not technically private security, but I think it's through like a private security firm is like. That's great. That's some really important. sort of like kidnap insurance or something. That makes a lot of sense. I feel like you definitely need something like that, especially when you go. I was go. I was going to go earlier this year to Nigeria and film some mm-hmm. stuff there, and I was definitely getting advised to find private security, or yeah. like just because of some of the again some of the things I was covering was was going to be on the very dangerous side of things, yeah. especially when you go out towards like I was looking towards like areas where like Boko Haram uh, were like based, and so like you know like these terrorist groups, and so it's like. You kind of want privacy is security there, at some point. So before we like totally switch gears, is there like a dream? Um, I mean, I don't want to like romanticize this ho- a horrible issue, but is there an issue that you really want to like shine light on or pursue answers to that you haven't gotten to yet? Honestly, uh, I mean, the stuff in Nigeria, I'd still have to do at some point because there's mm-hmm. some really horrifying stuff going on there. I mean, there's a stuff involving like, I don't know if you know this, but like child witchcraft accusations. Like I had no idea this oh, existed. Man, so no. Yeah, children there, like in like in mass, they get accused of getting of being witches, and so they end up like on the streets, no. and then it's end up yeah, it's 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 heartbreaking. I feel stuff. like I can see where you're going with this. And yeah, and yeah, then, and then it gets tied to like like organ trafficking and all this kind of stuff. Like it's like terrible stuff Oof. there in Nigeria. But honestly, one of the biggest issues nearest and dearest to my heart is back in my home country of Laos. Uh, where Laos remains, you know, uh, the most bombed country of all time. Because, oh, yeah, in the during the Vietnam War, Laos, we were allied with the U.S., but somehow the U.S. ended up dropping more bombs in Laos than they did in Vietnam. Uh, and so wow. to this day, Laos is the most bombed country of all time. There are still active landmines and there are organizations trying to remove those landmines mm-hmm. um, uh, because obviously, they, you know, people could, people still, you know, lose limbs, lose their That's lives wild. to these mines that are still active in the country. And so, yeah, I'd love to do something to to shine more awareness uh, to this issue. I know Rosamund Pike, 
uh, of Gone Girl. Of Gone Girl, uh, we love her. Uh, she uh, she has she she runs an organization um, uh, that 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 you know helps with the I guess demining. Uh, but so it's great that there are people still you know making active effort. But it's definitely a story that needs to be continue to be told. I think. Yeah, I mean, I not that I think I'm an overly informed person, but like I but have you are, no idea. But yeah. Um, I would definitely say that you are. And yeah, I think a lot yeah. of other informed people just aren't aware of that issue. So yeah. I mean, that's definitely one that at some point I would love to, you love know, to tackle. tackle it. Okay. Well, I think that's like a good segue though into, so you are, what is the, are you, is it your Laos or how, what is like the proper I, way of saying I that? am, I'm Lao or Laotian. Lao. Laotian. Um, okay. Yeah. The country is Laos. I am Lao. Yeah. Okay, got it. And then you said you were born in the U.S. So take us through basically what I want to get to. And we kind of talked about this a little bit off camera before we started, but this idea of tourism, right? And I think right now, like, I don't know what I saw on TikTok, but something uh, about how like course. the exotic, I'm not going to say this word correctly, but these countries are being exotified, which isn't the correct word, but I'm not going to attempt to say the actual exotification or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, of these places, but Laos is the hot new place that like people want to go travel. Right. Um, and I just wanted to talk about, I guess you've lived so many places and I've had the, like the pleasure and the privilege to travel quite a bit, but I've, I've only lived in America. And I think when you travel, you know, there's a certain level of assimilation as a tourist or like a respectful tourist, Um, But as like an actual resident of these different countries, I don't know, I guess I just wanted to get like a perspective from you living in so many different countries. Yeah, no, I appreciate you asking because obviously uh, my background around these countries has has definitely, like I said, played a big part Mm and plays a big part in my work and my life now. And that's why I do all the travel content that I had been doing or did Um, because I'm just like so curious about the world. I agree. Yeah, I was born in San Francisco, but moved away at the age of two, moved to Singapore. My brother was born there, then moved to Bali. Then I moved to Thailand and that's where I finished my high school. And in between all this, we have a lot of family in France. So I spent some time in France too. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, I was very privileged to grow up in these beautiful places, beautiful countries, beautiful, you know, cultures and meet all these wonderful people. I mean, the people in Thailand, like they call it the land of smiles for a reason because, you know, mm-hmm. everyone's so just wonderfully friendly there. Um, but yeah, there's definitely like, especially with like, I, 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 you know, I totally get what you, as soon as you said it, I, I registered what you were saying about like TikToks and, you know, like all, you have all these people like traveling now because like even like, well, not just now, people have been traveling for a while, but for like sure. specifically when it comes to, there are a lot more obnoxious people there's traveling. There's like a content motivation exactly. now versus like exactly. a curiosity or wanting to experience a place. I think that there's a new kind of this new thing motivating people to travel, which is like, oh, I can make really great content around this. Exactly. A hundred percent. And I think mm-hmm. especially because of how accessible like TikToks are just to, uh, I guess, like non-creators, if you will, you know, like uh, people that have no interest in really, you know, doing this as a full-time thing, you know, they still want to make content for their TikToks. And so now it's so accessible for them that, or Instagram reels, whatever, that they'll, they can, they have that same sort of motivation now. Mm -hmm. Whereas previously in the past, it was maybe just more like content creators who might go to these places to, to make longer, a little more intentional, more intentional, Mm -hmm. exactly with your travels. Whereas now anyone can pull, pull out their phone and make a TikTok. Right. Um, and so obviously it's like an interesting one, big, interesting one, because it's great that these countries are getting tourists there, but then there's also like, I see so many TikToks or or 
about of of just like people misbehaving you know be, you know yeah. i i go going back to like bali where i lived i was lucky enough to live for five years and i was very young when i was there so i don't have a great memory of it i was there from like five to ten um but like nowadays well it was already bad then but to this day like the traffic there i hear is like insane because it's mm -hmm. because of the sheer amount of tourists but also like the the pollution that they're, they're doing so many they have to do so many cleanups of the ocean the the beaches because tourists are just like you know leaving all kinds of trash debris yeah. everywhere that happens in thailand too and phuket all the all the islands and obviously it's an issue that's just like it's prevalent across all these different you know tourist hotspots and like you mentioned laos is an up-and-coming spot like i we do see laos coming up now in a lot of like these you know underrated travel locations or mm -hmm. like you know uh, in your next must-see place like i do see laos on those lists and you know, we're happy for it. Like, totally. you know, my dad works in the hotel business. And so it's great, you know, that there's, you know, for the industry, that there's people that are coming into the country. But at the same time, it, it's, a, it's a murky area where I feel like, you know, like I would urge anyone that is traveling to these places, even if you're making content or not, is to, to go into it from a place of respect to, you know, I think it's very easy to, to come into these places, especially countries that are underdeveloped when you're coming there with a lot of money to feel like you can not necessarily flaunt, but because of that money that you feel like you're a king there, you can do whatever you want. You know, mm -hmm. we see that happen, you know. Uh, and and so I think it's you, you have to be mindful of the people there. And I think even in places like Thailand, because people are so friendly, like they're more easy, it's easy for people to even subconsciously kind of take advantage of their mm -hmm. place as a wealthy foreigner in these countries. Even if you're not wealthy in the US, but you're going to be wealthy in Thailand yeah. compared to the average person there. And so like, if you come in with a mindset of like really wanting to experience the place, respect the people there, if you're intentional about that, I feel like that will transform your experience and make a you want to leave the place better than you know it was when you, totally. when, you when you got there. And yeah. I think uh, I think I don't think like a lot of these people that are creating content too, like we mentioned, like I I, I wouldn't I'm not going to say that all of them are like maliciously doing so, but I think it's again it's just like they you, you just, people don't think about it. That's all you know. They yeah. don't think about it, they're like oh I'm here I'm going to make this fun TikTok, you know no matter like if I'm getting in the way of like day to day life here for these you know these people like if I'm going to stand in the middle of the road for my pictures all this kind of stuff, and. Um, yeah, it's 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 like one of those things where it's like it's at the same time it's also great for these countries where to get tourists in too. Yeah, so it's, it's tricky. Well, much like we were talking about earlier, I think that like so much of life in general is a gray area, right? Mm -hmm. And I think that by no means am I saying or suggesting like people shouldn't travel here or traveling's bad. I love traveling, and I think it's a great way to like enrich your worldview mm -hmm. is to get out of the United States and see how other people are living. But I think that like the what's not it's not like there's like an education course necessarily though of like here's how you like can respectfully travel or here's how maybe you can treat these cultures or these environments and i think you touched on it really nicely which was you like people live here yeah, yeah. <laughs> and i guess just being respectful of that um, yeah is important absolutely yeah, yeah. these people their homes the, these people they're not like props for either yes. content or just like to make your trip better like you know like like you're enriching their lives by you know hopefully you know by being there buying their you know eating at their restaurants buying their food and stuff like that but at the same time they're like they're not indebted to you you know like you're in their country at the end of the day no matter yeah. what you know and i think it's weird because like when i think about it it's very much i think Especially, I, I guess maybe I feel more strongly for like countries in Asia or mm. un, or like the lesser developed countries, uh, be it they in Africa, South America, as opposed to more Western countries, because I feel like I, you don't see it quite as much 
some of the like for example like if someone i don't see i don't see people tourists littering in the beaches of france as they would in in asia hmm. because i don't know if it's just like uh, some sort of like strange like like a, it's like they would their people are more fearful of the french getting angry as opposed to like the friendly asians you know yeah. and so how interesting you know because yeah. i feel like in thailand like they're like these people are so friendly they don't care i'm just a litter here whereas you're in like nice or Cannes in france you you're not gonna think to litter really because you're like yeah. these french people are gonna bite my head off because the thai people they're not gonna say anything because they're you know like that's a cultural thing the thai people are not gonna for the most part they're not gonna yell at you they're gonna just they'll probably pick it up for you you know yeah uh and so like it's, these are just things you have to be aware of when you where you're when you're traveling i think yeah well and this is a completely un like relatively uneducated guess i get of what you're talking about but i'd be curious if it's like this difference between like a more what is it called collectivist society societal mindset mm -hmm. where it is like somebody drops their trash like i'll just go pick it up versus like um as growing up in a more western individualistic society and i guess the um the tension between the two interacting i think that's absolutely correct yeah yeah i think that's a very that feels like a very uh accurate theory uh that makes complete sense to me honestly yeah yeah i didn't think about that but that makes a lot of sense because culturally uh, there are just so many different mindsets i mean mm -hmm. you're going to japan soon which is yeah i mean like the the way they live is just so completely it's different so different yeah. right and it's not to say one is better or mm -hmm. worse or good or bad but i think that it's just and i do think that that's such an amazing benefit of travel and that travel is so much more accessible now than it perhaps has ever been is that you get to experience how other people are around the world are living but i think the important thing is being open-minded to the fact that um it, it is it it's it's different and one's not better or worse or whatever it's just like it's different and i guess being open and understanding of that that's very well said that's absolutely right uh, to your point like i think it's great that people travel i urge people to travel i think sure. it's so like you like I urge people to take gap years, you know, between like yeah. high school and, and college to go travel. Did the you world. take a gap year? I didn't. And I regret it. Oh. Um, uh, my brother did after college and it was like he did it for two years. He was just traveling. And yeah. like like there's like just being able to see different cultures, immersing yourself in them, different way people live, you know, the different, you know, the wealth disparities across different countries, like that kind of stuff. Just like it really opens your eyes and gives you a appreciation for what you have and then also for what you don't have it motivates you to maybe do better mm -hmm. and so yeah travel is incredible travel is so good to have you know it's like it's it's the that's there's no better way to learn more about the world but also yourself too when you're putting yourself you know in these situations even as a solo travel solo traveler like solo travel is i highly encourage it um but that said to your point also like you also just have to be i think it's just a matter of being like conscious and intentional about recognizing you know your privilege in these countries when you're mm -hmm. traveling that's all like just, yeah. just thinking about it i think is all you needed to do to begin with just like as long as you're recognizing it like that's already a good step last kind of section i wanted to touch on is you had mentioned your girlfriend merle who worked at buzzfeed with you and um for people listening who didn't follow i guess buzzfeed while this was happening but i feel like you guys were a public fixture on buzzfeed's channel of kind of this like will they won't they like are they dating? And then I didn't really follow up, but did it follow into like, we are dating? Was that all on BuzzFeed's channel? It was all on BuzzFeed's channel. Uh, yeah, I mean, like it was a kind of a wild kind of like journey in the sense that it was it was happening in real life, in real time, essentially. But then also it was being reflected in videos. Like we never actually meant for it to be to begin with like that. Yeah. But we just ended up being like just put cast together in some videos just because we had good chemistry. And then people were just picking up on things that uh, 
obviously I was the one that was doing more of the pursuing. Yeah. Uh, but uh, the audience was picking up on things that at the time that even maybe even her and I weren't How as quick to pick up on. Yeah. Huh. Having like a third party examine kind of yeah, recording yeah. stage. Yeah. But so I guess my question is not to make this about me. But please do um, your podcast. As you know, um, I mean, you know Brandon. So yes, Brandon makes content as well. And it's been this interesting thing that I guess I've been more aware of at this point of like have I guess how your relationship interacts with social media when your job is social media or social media is an aspect of your job, yeah. right? Because Merle also she's a YouTuber now, yeah. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. I guess my question is like. What would just what was that like? And did it add any pressure? Did it take away any pressure? Like, how did it interact with your relationship? Yeah, I think that it definitely affected the relationship, both yeah. in good and bad. Not necessarily even I wouldn't even say necessarily necessarily bad, but there was definitely a very there was a point where I was like, I do not want to do any more relationship content. Like it yeah. was a very there was a, there was a very fine point because you know, like it was a, it was great to be able to, and so it was great to be able to be in so many videos together. And we're both very, very grateful for the people who have since followed us and, you know, who yeah. continue to follow us because of, uh, our relationship and, you know, that courtship and everything since. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, like her and I, neither of us want to be like known for being in a relationship or for making relationship content. Mm -hmm. You know, that's not to say that we won't, that's not to say that we you know we're not happy to, to make videos or talk about it. But we don't that we don't want to, that we don't want that to be the center of our of our, um, of, our of our identity. Yeah, um, yeah, because like you know, like Merle does so much stuff with her channel. You know, she does stuff in the vegan wellness space. In the vegan wellness space, I was doing stuff in true crime. But even outside of that, I obviously you know I want to do my. I want to do film, TV. You know, I have my documentary work. Merle also she's an actress too, and so like. The relationship stuff is great to have, but we want it to be secondary to kind of like everything else. And there was a point where we were getting asked to be in so many BuzzFeed videos together just because BuzzFeed knew that, you know, if we were in the thumbnail together, people were going to click on it no matter yeah. kind of like what the video was. was. And so at a certain point, I was like, we, I had to draw a line. I had to start telling other producers, sorry, but we, we don't want to be in any more videos together because yeah. like it just it was just not... Uh, yeah, it was just, I felt it was going to more, do more harm in the long run. And even just on to the relationship itself too, you know, there's only so much you want to put out uh, out there, uh, especially yeah. for a company too. Like if it was for ourselves, we get it. A but at a certain different. point, you know, like BuzzFeed was the one making money off of the relationship. So it's like, it, there was like, yeah. that I also felt kind of like, okay, we've given enough of ourselves to this company. Let's, you know, dial it back. Yeah, I think in general that touches on a really interesting thing of like, the symbiotic relationship of working for like a big company, like, yeah. like a big media company like Buzzfeed, where obviously Buzzfeed has an incredible number of eyes, especially when we worked there. I feel like since, since like there's kind of, it's become a little bit more niche. Yeah. But like more I, than niche. Yeah. <laughs> but like when we were working there, it was like, there were so many eyes continuously on Buzzfeed. Right. And yeah. so it was a great platform and it was a really great opportunity to like collaborate with some very talented individuals to, you know, learn kind of the viral way of making a YouTube video and, um, you're getting paid to do all that, right? When maybe like 
you know, for me, at least it was like, I was just starting out. There was no way that I could sustain myself just making my own YouTube videos. Yeah. Um, but then at the same time as like, you're giving yourself to this company and you're giving, I mean, I feel like what you were making was more ideas, but some of those Buzzfeed videos got really, really personal. Right. And you're like sharing your personal stories yeah. for like the clicks of this huge media company. And I don't know. I don't know that I have a question as much of it is just like an observation of we live in a really interesting time. It's a very apt observation. Yeah, that's absolutely correct. And I think that's a lot of that. I think that's what a lot of previous creators who had left BuzzFeed, they, they kind of like that's kind of was like kind of their breaking point was that they were well, one of their breaking points, I think, was that, yeah, they were giving so much of themselves and opening up so much of their own wounds, their trauma essentially for the financial benefit of a company, which, mm -hmm. you know, at the same time, I understand, you know, I don't begrudge BuzzFeed for taking what money they could, you know, like they were giving us a platform, you know, they were giving us a salary jobs. So, you know, it is what it is. It's just the nature of the beast. But at the same time, I also understand people who are like, okay, we've given so much of ourselves, like and at, the, at a certain point, it's like, mm -hmm. if I'm not going to be the one directly getting like mm -hmm. any sort of like real sort of profit from it, then like, why do I keep doing this for a company that, ultimately, you know, may lay me off as it has done with many people. Yeah. Like time to move on, I guess. Exactly. Why don't we talk about film real fast? Yes, yes, yes. yes absolutely. I feel like that's something that we um, really connected over. I don't really remember how we became randomly like friends. It was definitely via Instagram. Yeah. We were just, like, we were just replying, replying to stories and stuff yeah. like that. And I, I always saw like you had a nice criterion collection yeah. and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, yeah, no, yeah. We can, film was definitely something that we we connected over. Cause I think we both appreciate that. We appreciate a fun little film, a fun little film. Well, you said, so obviously you like, like kind of the more macabre sort of situation. And, um, you said you like horror or do you like horror? Like, does that extend into film? That extends into, yeah. I mean, I, I, I love watching horror films. That's one of the things that Merle and I bonded over was that mm. what we continue to is that we love watching horror movies together. And I know you hate horror movies. I <laughs> one of the first things, actually, one of the Instagram DMs I remember you responding to me or sending to me was I had posted, like, just so there was a template of, like, it was, like, top five comfort horror movie film. Oh, yeah, com top five comfort horror movies. And you and you responded by saying like what what the fuck is a comfort that, horror yeah, movie does, does that, that exist? exist yeah what does that even mean <laughs> wait so what are your what are your five com like what's a comfort horror movie I guess for it's you? A, a comfort horror movie I guess would be for me would be like The Evil Dead or something like that okay. you know like they're kind of like just even but for some people I could even see some people's comfort movies maybe not Hereditary that's probably the opposite <laughs> of a comfort horror movie but I could see Midsummer weirdly being like a comfort horror movie for for I've some people that. you know because kind of like maybe it's like the daytime vibes but yeah I think it's like just a film that kind of you can put on in the background and kind of just enjoy because you've seen it so many times I, okay. I guess that's what it means like it gives you a sense of comfort in a weird yeah. way mine's legally blonde not <laughs> that, a horror movie <laughs> that's, a, that's a great comfort movie it's yeah. so good so okay comfort horror movies like what you said Evil Dead is for you Evil Dead I mean like comfort in movies in general for me like for you legally blonde is one I just love like rom-coms are kind of like my go-to like comfort movies in nice general nice and easy nice little You've Got Mail When Harry Met Sally oh, oh When Harry Met Sally so great movies good. I'm a big rom-com guy so yeah yeah movies in general like I mean they're a big part of like what I what I what I just love I, it's, it's like a love language to share with someone you know a movie it really it is, really is. It, yeah. and uh you know so like movies are really important to me and obviously you know even myself you know because obviously I'm moving into more directing and I want to mm -hmm. make features and stuff like that I was just gonna ask because obviously you are gravitating towards documentary right now but um like do you ever want to do like a scripted feature 
Yes, absolutely. Uh, honestly, like recently, uh, I, I shot a film with my brother back in 2016, mm-hmm. uh, which we re- which we finally I fin- I was editing it late at night after my work at BuzzFeed. Yeah. For seven years, and so finally seven years, seven years, and so it finally got uh, it premiered at a festival last week, and we're starting our festival run, and that whole experience, like the reception it got, you know, it's it's it it inspires me to continue doing more in that yeah. space, like, and that film is like a weird. It's unscripted. It's kind of like a, it's a film in kind of the vein of like a Borat or like a jury duty more mm-hmm, recently. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's not like a traditional like scripted narrative film, but I definitely love to explore more in the narrative. I'd love to explore more like in the scripted traditional yeah. space. But at the same time, like because of my documentary work and my work on this film, you know, like I'm also kind of like curious about like this weird, like kind of unscripted, like intermediate. Yeah. Sort of make space. your own lane. What's the yeah. name of your film? The film is called Nowhere Men. Nowhere and, man. Nowhere men. Nowhere men. Nowhere men. And it's, uh, it's, it's, uh, I'm going to try to explain it as best I can, but essentially what we did was it's a film that involves real actors, real people in Portland who we cast in a terrible Beatles musical called Nowhere Men. And they, uh, and it was, it was performed in front of a real audience and the audience, none of them knew that the script was intentionally a bad musical. And so, um, did the actors know it was a bad musical? That's the script. Well, they they recognized they read the script and knew it was a bad script, but they didn't realize it was all part of like the, uh, it was all planned. Part, it was all planned. Like okay. I played a director in the film. I was the director of the of the musical, and so they didn't know I was playing a character. They didn't know that like you know I was aware that the script was mm-hmm. bad. They just thought the character was a terrible writer, you know. But at, weirdly, the film itself. Like it is so chaotic. It's a comedy. But at the same time, there's like what's very important to me is having a lot of heart in the stories I tell. And so there's so much heart in the film because of these actors, because we've kind of filmed it at the same time, like a documentary, because these actors, these real people, they essentially they knew the script was bad, yet they still wanted to perform just for the sake Mm. of getting out there and, you know, for the love of the craft because it was community theater. So it's like a weird love letter to community theater. The people in the musical, like they were like, one of them was like an administrative assistant. Her name is Dawn. And, mm-hmm. you know, she was talking about, you know, how like she knows the script is terrible, but like, it's just like, it's one of the most wonderful experiences she's had just because oh. of, it gives her the chance to be someone that she's not and to break away from the day-to-day life that she had, you know, kids working in the office, all this kind of stuff. And so like, as bad as the script is and as, as crazy as the experience is being with, you know, working with my character, this insane director, you know, like there's some, she's finding such joy in it. And so it's a very sweet film too. So it's kind of like a, it's, it's very, it's been an, it's been a long journey and we're glad the film is wow. finally out there and we're excited to see it. Continue. Um, this probably won't come out for like a minute, but is there a place that people can screen this or watch? Yeah, it probably won't be out for a while. Uh, we're hoping to hopefully maybe get some distribution for it, get it on a streaming platform. If not, it'll probably be, probably go on Vimeo as opposed to YouTube. But uh, yeah, it's like that experience has been has been beautiful. Seeing it at the film festival last week, like I said, very inspiring. I know. I'm so bummed I couldn't make it's okay. it. I, I invited Sid uh, like literally, literally the night before. So I didn't expect you to, to, to I was close it. though. Yeah, you, did, close. you called it a game time decision. Yeah. And I did... I, you'll see it in the future, but yeah, Perfect. it's a very, it's, it's so yeah, I'm very curious to continue doing more stuff, uh, directing and doing features mm-hmm. and stuff like that, which is where I think actually... As because of this experience, you know, like just like in the next year or so, I definitely am going to focus more of my efforts into transitioning over into that space as opposed to uh, doing like more like my YouTube channel, which I'll still do stuff on. But I feel like I'm I was always wanting to and meant to do more of that work and to transition over eventually. And so I figure why wait, you know, what does the transition look like? Like what? 
I'm kind of murky from the talent perspective. I kind of understand it. And even then I don't really understand it, but from the more production side. Yeah, that's what it is. That's why it's kind of like, that's the question. You know, it really is. It's the question I still have too. It's like, what is that transition? It's like, I guess it's a matter of like, where do I want to put my efforts? Mm -hmm. You know, like, do I want to spend my time doing the grind of weekly YouTube videos, which is great. And, you know, that's probably where there's more money in it for me. Um, Potentially brand deals, all that kind of stuff, uh, all that kind of stuff. But then like uh, the movie side, it's like, then there's that grind of like, okay, writing scripts, finding, you know, producers, people to fund the film. And I guess that's the transition. The transition is going to be, I guess you never know when it's fully done, but I guess I'll recognize when the transition's happening is when I've got someone that's like, oh, I want to fund this film. Let's make it happen. And then that's when I know like it's going to happen, mm-hmm. like, or it's, it's happening because the film we made in 2016, it's a beautiful film. It's the product I'm most proud of. Uh, and, uh, and thankfully, you know, people have been so positive with their reception towards it. There's hopefully more festivals to come. Um, but that film was self-funded. My brother and I did it ourselves while I was in college. You know, I funded it from being an Uber driver late at night. And so that transition won't feel real into film and TV until it's someone else funding the project. It's not just myself. And so I think that's what it is. It's finding people that have the resources and uh, ability to support, you know, my dream, my vision without yeah. me having to dip into my own pocket like I did for like the travel content, for example. Yeah. So that's kind of your next like North Star. Per North se. Stars. Yeah. Finding people that you know believe in me and, mm-hmm. and the work I want to do and, you know, making it happen. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Cool. Well, we'll all be on the lookout oh, for more from Aria. Kind, yes. Can I ask like a personal question and we can cut this out if you don't want to answer it. Sure. I'm excited. Is, um, so during that transition, how do you like pay your bills? That's the thing. Well, uh, that's why that's, that's why it's difficult because like uh, the the YouTube channel is like that's yeah. that's something that's potentially like you know a source of income. You know, uh, I I still get obviously some branded deals. You know, I'm lucky enough to be a Paxson partner. Hell it's, yeah! Uh, and I always compliment what you're literally. This isn't part of his little partnership, yeah. <laughs> but the last two times we've hung it's out, true. I've loved your outfit, and I'll go, "Where'd you get that? That's sick!" And be like, "Oh, it's Paxson." <laughs> that's so true. I forgot that. That's yeah, happened last the time. Second too. time. <laughs> hey, I I love my Paxson. Um, yeah, but yeah, so you know, like, there's definitely like, there's the benefits towards, uh, there's the benefits of being like a content creator, mm-hmm. um, and so like that stuff I can continue to lean on, thankfully, and I'm, I, I actually recognize my privilege in a sense to have that because there are a lot of filmmakers out there doing, tr- attempting the same thing as me to make that transition without kind of that safety net, you yeah. Know? And even though my safety net isn't like a wide, wide one, you know, but it's still something. Yeah. And so I have that. And of course, like I said, I'm going to continue making stuff on my YouTube channel, you know, whether or not there was a point this year where I thought, okay, maybe I'll transition and do like weekly videos and like really commit to the YouTube channel. But then it comes back to our earlier, everything comes full circle. But going back to our true crime stuff, I'm like, do I really want to be doing true crime for the rest of my life? Yeah. And so that's kind of like where that's like, that's where it's like, that's where the question comes. And so it's like, maybe it's like a matter of like okay i do what i need to i do what needs to be done to pay the bills yeah with my channel but then focus the rest of my time and efforts on you know the bigger north star like you mm-hmm. said and uh and i think that's kind of like that's the question i need to answer and i think that's the question that i, I am answering and i think yeah. like in my own head as the weeks go by yeah know? well but, i appreciate your generosity in answering that because i just i think that like it's so important for people to hear from a few different angles i think mm-hmm. one is that like the, if there's a will, there's a way. Right. And, um, maybe it's not the most direct path towards like your ultimate goal, but maybe, I don't know if 
you're wanting to ultimately direct features and you don't come from, you know, some like trust fund or having like a huge safety net financially, like there's ways to create your own safety net, whether that be through like being a content creator as like a pit stop maybe, Mm -hmm. or as a transition, um, in order to like fund you being able to focus more energy on building up, um, like a career in features. I don't know. I, and I think that's, what's so exciting about the time that we are right in right now. And like the internet age and all that is that you really can create a career that can enable you to be like find creative fulfillment. Even if maybe like in the interim, you're not always a hundred percent creatively fulfilled, but I think it's kind of a continuum, right? Is like the goal is maybe you're not making content that you're overly the most to the moon you know, this is your creative dreams, but you have a little bit of time to put towards your creative dreams. And then hopefully as your career progresses and you grow as a creative, like the scale kind of tips and you're doing less and less of kind of the, the busy work or the work that is more financially, I don't want to say even guaranteed, but comes with more financial promises. I think you, yeah, you hit the nail on the head. That's absolutely right. Yeah. I have nothing else to add to that. Cause yeah, that's, that's, that's kind of, I think that's the struggle, but also the Kind of the uh, the the weird beauty of of chasing your dreams, yeah, you know, in, in in the creative arts or in anything, honestly. But yeah, right, yeah. Well, Aria, where can people find you and um all of your insane documentaries? Oh yeah, uh, well everything I'm on every uh, most of my platforms are just like whatever it is: Instagram, Twitter at backslash Aria Intavong, so A R I A I N T H A V O N G. My YouTube is actually uh YouTube.com backslash or backslash slash. I always say backslash, but I at this point I don't know which way the slash is supposed backslash. to go. Yeah, I'll say backslash. YouTube.com backslash Aria presents. Um, and that's it. And you know, like uh, that's I think a lot of my work is going to uh, on the digital side will continue to be on YouTube and whatnot. Um, and then, you know, everything else. Oh, my TikTok is the same as my Instagram and everything mm-hmm. else. And then like I said, my films, you know, hopefully, uh, if not Vimeo, hopefully. Or rather, hopefully it's on streaming platforms. If not, it'll be on Vimeo. Yeah. Um, but we're, we'll see how things go. Perfect. You know? Okay, wait. Also, I forgot. I keep, keep teasing you. I mean, like, mm-hmm. talk about film, talk about film. Mm-hmm. So before we leave, three films that you recommend people watch. Oh, that's right. Do you, do, you, do, you, do you have your three? Do I have my three? Um, I can come up with three. Okay. No, no, no. You don't have to. I, oh, thought I, you had I have three. I have three. Yeah, I have three. I am curious to know yours. Okay. Um, I think... Portrait of a Woman on Fire, just so you can feel something. <laughs> yeah, we all want to feel a little something. Um, yeah. The Lobster. Oh, The Lobster. I The one thing I remember from The Lobster, I love The Lobster, mm-hmm. but I, the one thing I can I can never forget from The Lobster is the sound of the woman after she's jumped. <laughs> I, just, I, just, I just hear her moans in my head the, right now, but go on. The, the, see, film's so fun. The fact yeah, it's that fun. That just like, see, and I'm more of a visual person, so when you said that, I could like see the shot. Yeah, because like, is that you don't really? It's like in the distance. It's in the background. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Um, and then oh, I'm trying not to. F- I feel like films everybody should see. I think Legally Blonde would be one of them. I think mm-hmm. it is the pacing on that film is unreal. I've seen it a couple of times. Haven't seen it in a while, but I love it. And I think you're absolutely right. That's important with a comedy too. Mm-hmm. Like that. Like some some you know some comedies don't need to be as long as they are. That no. that. that Lily Bond moves. The tight so well. 90. Exactly. I love a tight 90. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Like when a comedy is like 120 minutes, I'm like, what are you doing? That's no. like, yeah. even now, even most films I don't need to be that long for the oh, most yeah. part. But anyways, um, that's a great list. I'm going to 
just to match her legally blonde i will say i will genuinely say when harry met sally is definitely i agree with that it's such a great film again pacing on that film is great and it's so heartfelt chemistry is amazing you can't go wrong about it it's it's a feel-good movie it's a it's a yeah it's it's a comfort movie really it really is it's so good it's great um and then i'm going to throw in uh the apartment which is uh billy wilder i don't know if you've seen it 1960 amazing it is for me a near pretty much a perfect film it's probably my favorite film of all time okay it is uh it's yeah it's it's a perfect film in the sense that it's it's a romantic dramedy it just hits on so many different levels it's dramatic Mm -hmm. it's romantic it's funny uh and yeah the chemistry between uh the leads jack lemon and shirley mclean is great all around fantastic um it has kind of that it's black and white so it has that kind of like romantic Ooh. black and white you know like uh, hollywood uh old hollywood vibe um and then i will say uh which you haven't seen yet before sunset which is yes. the sequel to before sunrise we will watch it when i'm back from asia <laughs> yes which will be in five months but yes perfect how, yeah. how long do they take in between they take they take a long they take a they take it's a year it's a year oh okay we won't take a year you won't take a year but, but yes before sunset i love all films in the before trilogy but I think Before Sunset is just, speaking of a tight 90, that one also, it zips. And that one is, I won't spoil too much for you, but that one does such a good job with its time because they're against a clock, a much more specific clock mm-hmm. than the first film. So the first film is essentially, they have the night, right? But the, the second film is essentially, that 90 minutes feels like the only 90 minutes they have. And so it's really, really, it's like, Ooh. it's very, very good. And, but yes, those three I would be my kind of my go-to. I feel like I was just uh, like, you know, Letterbox, they go and ask yeah. people. Mm-hmm. I felt like I was, I was being asked that. that was oh, exciting. perfect. That was, it, it's, um, what's it called? Like a uh, predictory. The la- like you'll have your feature out at some point and then the Letterbox will ask you your, your top uh, three. So this was good. We were, we were prepping you for that. Fantastic. Yeah. Cool. Well, Arya, thank you for coming by. Glad I asked. Thank you so much for having me. Honestly, I'm glad you asked. You're the first person that really? I'd say that. Oh my god, amazing! <laughs> I love that. I am glad you asked. I'm honored, yeah. genuinely honored to be. You know, you know. I think you're so. You know, not only just a wonderful friend and person, but you know, you're such a. You know, I admire so much of your creativity, your mm. drive. You know, like your your hustle, honestly. You know, and the way you're able to balance that out with just you know all these different you know like uh, projects that you want to take on, and ultimately, like I said, just being a good person, which is very you know. Uh, which is an important quality, especially in this industry. And so, yeah. I, you know, I just appreciate uh, being asked, cool. and you know, also with the with the, the the other wonderful guests that you have lined up, you know, just to be amongst them is it's my honor, my pleasure. Uh, Aria, yes. thank you, thank you. Okay, bye. I want to. I felt like we had a hug there, but it's I know it's that was it was a verbal hug. It was a verbal hug. That was, that felt like a verbal hug. <laughs> it really did. Thank you. Okay, bye bye.